Hello, my name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today we have with us Qubit, who uh, you know as Qubit, but whose real name is R. Corey LZ. Corey, uh, you go by Corey and not the R, you said. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Why on earth, and I have a theory about this, would you not want to go by Richard? <laughs> uh, your theory might be right. Uh, <laughs> as uh, in elementary school and school in general, um, Richard tended to turn into Dick. Yep. And that, I mean, back then that wasn't uh, the best thing, so I decided to go by Corey. Uh, and you are, as I noted, a, an affable Midwesterner. You're in Indiana, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Lafayette, Indiana. What is Indiana like this time of year? Oh, it's cold. Right now it's 19 degrees um, and snow on the ground, so that's, it's not pleasant out. That's Celsius, right? 19 degrees Celsius. <laughs> it feels like it. Uh, I'm wearing shorts. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's how we roll on the West I'm, Coast, Corey. I'm jealous. And, you know, last weekend it was 50 degrees here, and and now it's gotten cold again. So 50 degrees, that must be terrible. When it's 50 degrees here, I just I can't believe it. How do you, how do you survive? Uh, yeah, 50 I, degrees, people are sliding off the road and everything, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, at 50 degrees here, it's like mass panic. <laughs> uh, are you from Indiana? Is that home for you, born and raised? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've actually not lived in any other states um, so it's it's always been Indiana here. Did you, uh, in Lafayette as well, have you ranged very far from where you grew up? Um, no, I, uh, um, Lafayette is where Purdue University is, and uh, I came here to, to go to school, and um, and I haven't really left, so kind of settled down here with my wife. And mm-hmm. uh, How did you meet your wife? Um, we, uh, I met her at... Uh, university and uh, we were both in band class oh my god are you guys a couple of band geeks you married <laughs> yeah. a band geek <laughs> yep <laughs> uh okay so to get a picture here what instrument did you play and what instrument did she play uh she played the flute mm-hmm. so one of those uh, girls and uh, i played the saxophone okay i can th- ah the saxophone i can see that mm-hmm. okay good uh and did you date for a long time before you got married uh, about two years, I'd say. Okay. A couple of years. Good. It's the prudent way to do it. I just wanted to make sure you didn't jump into anything. Uh, <laughs> and so your job now is still at a, uh, at a university. Oh, you said a community college, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I work at a community college in the IT department, and uh, I also take some classes there, too. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does working at the IT department of the community college entail? Like helping students with lost passwords, that kind of thing? Uh a little bit of that, um, a lot of computer services, um, um, you know, troubleshooting uh, hardware and software, just general stuff like that. And so I presume that when someone in your family, when there, something goes wrong with their computer or their printer won't work, you're the guy they turn to. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a lot of times that happens. <laughs> yep. uh, and so tell me what your wife does as well. Uh, she is actually a teacher, a math teacher. Oh, that's actually cool. And what, uh, like kids, teaching kids or older? Um, high school age, high school and middle school. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and what does she think of, of how many video games you play? <laughs> uh, she, I don't think she minds. Um, 
she doesn't join in too much uh, on the you know PC or Xbox 360, but um, I think she likes that I have some friends to to converse with, and she isn't opposed. Does she ever give you a hard time? And not not in a, a mean way, but is that ever something you get teased about? Like yeah, she sees I, you, she sees you like flying goofy spaceships around, or or you know putting Commander Shepard together to look just the way you want. Does she tease you about that stuff? <laughs> yeah, I get a you know some some ribbing now and then, especially um, you know if I'm playing with uh, some friends with Leoparded too, that can get kind of loud. Because you're like talking to the computer, and she's like, "There's no one there." You're talking to the computer, that kind of thing, or you're doing. Well, if, I, if I scream like "tank, tank," or you know, <laughs> there's a witch over there. <laughs> right. Uh, and now she, of course, must have some sort of uh, habit that you can make fun of as well, or a hobby, right? Does she still play the flute? Can you give her a heart? No, she doesn't. Um, but she is a fan of really sappy movies and TV shows, like those Hallmark Hall of Fame movies. Oh, ouch. Now, do you get dragged into watching those? No, no. I I, I can stay away from those, and I, I like to give her a hard time about that. Yeah, ooh. I, uh, I had a girlfriend who was really into Grey's Anatomy, and I tried to be a good sport about watching it with her, and I, it just, oh, God, that was that was insufferable. So I, um, that's that's very understandable. Do you have to? Have you ever had to watch Grey's Anatomy? She watched the first couple episodes, um, but she, uh, she didn't hook her really. Okay. So let me ask you this, Corey: When, or or should I say, how many times have you and your wife gone to see The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock? I we haven't actually seen that movie. Okay, you should tell your wife about it, and she can drag you to see it. I understand it's a very feel-good chick movie, uh, and, you know, it would be right up your wife's alley. That's my theory there, so. <laughs> uh, so you are really into RPGs, right? Like, is that, would you say that, actually, would you say that you have a, you mentioned Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say you have a genre that you prefer, or do you just range far and wide? Um, I... I like a, a, a variety of genres. I'm I'm kind of a story-driven gamer, mm-hmm. um, and like uh, strategy games, for instance, I love the idea of them and um, and listening to three moves ahead and all that. But actually playing them, I'm no good. It, it just doesn't do much for me. So um, I really enjoy a good uh, role-playing game or um, shooters with heavy story elements. Now, aren't you in that uh, that NFL football-y kind of <laughs> league thing, tournament deal that they have a quarter to three? Are yeah, you part yeah, of that? The, I, I am in the Madden 10 uh, league, and that's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Now, now don't, if you get too technical with me, I'm going to, I'm just going to, my eyes will glaze over and I'll have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but isn't that, is that kind of like an RPG? Like, because don't you guys each, like... I don't know if you're like role playing coaches, but you each have your own team, right? Like, yeah, that's right. That's and you're, you're you're sort of simming a, a season, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, each uh, each week, um, you'll go head to head with another team, whether it's controlled by the AI or another, you know, another member from quarter to three, and you play a game. Why would you go head to head against the AI? Uh, because not all the teams are taken. There's not enough of us. Oh, oh. How many of you are there? Do you know? Uh I think at last check, because we're into the playoffs now, there's right around 20, 18 to 20. And uh, how are you doing in the league? 
actually, I've kind of embarrassing. Uh, I lost in the playoffs this morning to the AI player. Oh no! Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So does that knock you out, or you just now have a loss on your record? I, I'm out for good. I'm out for the season. So. Oh, Corey, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. That's too bad. I, I brought up a painful uh, issue. Uh, what what team were you? Actually, so uh, here's gonna here's the thing. Even though I'm terrible about football. I do, through, I think, just cultural osmosis, if you name a city, I think I can tell you what that team's name is. Uh, So tell me the city that you're playing, and I'm going to see if I know the mascot. What is it? Uh, New York. Now, this is kind of tricky, but New York. So, Giants? No, the other New York team. (laughs) Jets! Yeah, that's right. Wow, I cannot believe I knew that. Okay, I'm going to give myself a gold star. There I go. (laughs) Uh, well, I'm sorry you're out of that league. So the other things you're into in quarter three these days, uh, and I, I don't want to press you too hard on this because I, I know you're probably in the middle of it. You are playing Mass Effect 2, correct? Yeah, that's right. I, I started it a couple days ago. Now, uh, there are certain curmudgeons on quarter three who did not care for the game and screw those guys. What do they know? Uh, <laughs> but is it working for you? Are you digging it? Uh, I, I am so far. Um, there are some things I don't like. Um, a lot of the mini games. Um, Let me are, put it this way, Corey. Are there any of the mini games that you do like? <laughs> the the memory game I can do pretty quick, so I don't mind that one. Right. Um, that one I almost wondered, like, why did they bother? Because I thought, as I was playing, I thought maybe they were going to start adding in more symbols, that it would mm-hmm. get more complex. Uh, or that the time would go quicker or right, something. Right, exactly, exactly. And it just seems like such a formality. And I, I remember thinking as, as the game was going on, like, what, why are they doing Because I can see the other hacking game, how that can get more complex. And I can even see the challenge in that one. But just matching those, you know, the pairs from those eight symbols, that just seems so weird to me. And uh, um, especially, like, a lot of that little stuff is interesting um, because... Um, you know, their objective in Mass Effect 2 was to, you know, cut down a lot of, on a lot of the annoyances from the first game, and um, it seems like they added a few, too. Yeah. So yeah. Is, the, is the overall uh, sort of design direction for Mass Effect 2 to sort of streamline it and make it play more like a, a shooter, is that working for you, or is that bothering you? Because I think that a lot of fans of the first game, some of them go either way in terms of they really get bothered by that and some really like that. Uh, how is that working for you? I don't mind it. Um, I appreciate, you know, good shooting. Um, so that doesn't bother me so much. Um, what what I was kind of more disappointed with is the, the linearity of the missions. Um, I agreed with your fidget article about, you know, the, the boxes grouped together, right. you know, fighting from one end to the other. And, um, um, and uh, tying that in a little to Fallout 3 has really spoiled me on a lot of, you know, ways... Uh, Spoiled me on a lot of Bioware RPGs. That and that, yeah. So we're going to talk about Fallout Three mm-hmm. today, and we get when we get into that. That's definitely part of what I want to talk about. But one of the things too is that uh, did you did you play Dragon Age? Um, I I haven't finished it. Um, okay. uh, it's such a long game. I I've put put several hours into it, but I haven't finished it. But you, you so you've seen then that Dragon Age, even when you are in those boxes, a lot of the boxes have more breadth to them. I mean, there are some levels that are mazes, you know, that there, mm-hmm. there's a sense of exploration and there seems to be a reason to, to range around and look for different things. And all the missions in, in Mass Effect 2 
to me just felt like a straight up move from point A to point B and then you're done. Uh, and, and it really is so different from Dragon Age uh, mm-hmm. that it, it, it's, it's hard to sort of drop back down to that for me. It was. And um, there are, I did notice some uh, little rooms at sometimes, you know, in different places that you, that you could hack into. But um, since there's no loot in the game, um, there's not a lot of, there's not a huge incentive to, you know, right. go out there and get that stuff. Um, and there's not a lot of it anyway. So. That's really a tough thing is that when you, when you streamline, oh wait, hold on, <clears throat> excuse me. When you streamline an RPG and you want to minimize that loot fiddling and gear, mm-hmm. you've really got to, that's a, that's a tough row to hoe. I mean, how do you do that? Uh, and I think of games like, uh, uh, Gas Powered Games did that Space Siege, that sci-fi Diablo thing where mm-hmm. they tried to mm-hmm. do that. And, and I think that, that screwed them up. And, uh, the the superhero MMO that Cryptic did, uh, Champions is the one. Oh, City of uh, City of Heroes. Like, didn't they try to like have no loot? Uh, it, you know, and Guild Wars even like Guild Wars avoided mm-hmm. loot, but you've got to replace it with something. And I just feel like it, it yeah, just feels yeah, like, conspicuously absent in, in Mass Effect Two. I think that the the lack of loot in the inventory, that stuff, I think could have gone on better or gone over better if there was more variety, and, you know, the missions weren't so linear. Um, now, now you're, you, uh, so you, I presume you're, you're digging the story. I mean, I, you must have been a fan of Mass Effect 1, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it, uh, it's, it is good. It is good. <laughs> uh, are there any surprises for you so far? So far, not really. Um, and, and I have to confess, Mass Effect 2 hasn't really grabbed me um, as much as I thought it would. The story's great so far, but um, I'm I'm kind of on a wait-and-see uh, footing with that game. Do you think, here you go, and this is a tough question to have to answer, do you think you'll you'll finish Mass Effect 2? Because um, you, you mentioned sort of getting stalled partway through Dragon Age and you might go back to it. Do you think that'll happen with Mass Effect 2? Mass Effect 2 seems easier, <laughs> so there's probably <laughs> less chance of me stalling. Um, but uh, since, and I also found out today that after the main storyline's over, you can go back and do some of those uh, side missions. So um, I might just focus on the main storyline and push on through. So there's a lot better chance with Mass Effect than there was with Jack- Dragon Age that I'll finish it. And also, now, what when you sit down to play Dragon Age and Mass Effect... What difficulty level do you choose? Um, I, I'll start off with normal. Um, I'm not very good at games in general, though, so I have no qualms with bumping it down to easy. Uh, that's what I had to do with Dragon Age. And have you, have you done that yet with Mass Effect? I know Mass Effect, even on normal, seems pretty easy. Um, yeah. they, they start to do some tougher battles later, and because... Uh, so as you know, I wasn't a fan of it. And, and as I got through maybe two-thirds of the way through, there were a few battles I was having to like start over and take mm-hmm. a different approach. And so I finally bumped it down to easy and, and just plowed through it, no problem to the end, because I was sort of tired of the gameplay and just wanted to see where the story went. Uh, and I, I feel weird about the game letting me do that. And, and I, I guess I appreciate that Bioware allows players to do that, but mm-hmm. if I've been playing on normal all those times, I mean, I, I just... I, I don't like the challenge level being left up to me. I can't be trusted with that. <laughs> do you think it's uh, Do you think it's um, 
Do you think it's an excuse for not spending so much time on balance? That's an excellent question, Corey. I think it's a way to cover. Yeah, it, it's it's a way to say, you know what, we don't have to balance this. We can just let people gradually move this, you know, move this slider to one of three or four positions, and that determines the enemy hit points and the damage you do. Because if uh, it's a set difficulty that you choose at the beginning, that has to be a major focus, you know, to keep it constant throughout the um, right. throughout the game. Right, right. Yeah, you know what? That's a very good point. Uh, and I think, yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I, I kind of wish that... So here's another thing, too. Being a uh, gamer score whore, you know, my, those little points and those achievements, I so respond to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if there had been, and I confess, before I bumped it down to casual on Mass Effect 2, I went into the list of achievements and I checked <laughs> to see if there was an achievement for finishing on normal versus on casual. Uh-huh. If I had gotten an achievement for finishing on normal, I would not have bumped it down to casual. I am that Shallow and superficial. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, well, the thing is, yeah, and I, I wish that Bioware had known that because they could have, <laughs> they could have forced me to sort of, I, I could have enjoyed the challenge of Mass Effect a little more by, by mm-hmm. the time it was over. Now, do you know? And I don't want to give anything away. Do you know what happens? Like, do you know about the, the ending that people are talking about in Mass Effect Two? Like, what they do with the ending? Have you heard them talk about oh. the suicide mission? Do you know that? No, no. Um, I know uh, you mentioned and a few other people that the ending is, you know, pretty, uh, pretty good and explosive. But I haven't. Um, okay, good. I'm still in the dark with that. So. so, so that's that. By the way, Corey, I think is another reason that uh, you shouldn't stall out on Mass Effect. It, it, I, they have a wonderful payoff. I, I really like so many. Okay, we'll get into this with Fallout, for instance. Mm-hmm. So many RPGs just kind of fizzle out at the end. And both with Dragon Age and with uh, Mass Effect 2, I, I think Bioware really knows how to reward you for playing the story through to the end. They know how to have a payoff. So, so you, so you would recommend pushing through just for the story, story's sake? Yes, absolutely. If the story is working for you in Mass Effect, the ending will work all that much more. If you care about what's happening in the world of Mass Effect 2, uh, then it's going to be a very powerful, fantastic ending. And that was the thing: is when it ended for me. My reaction was, "Wow, that's really cool. I wish I liked the game more." Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, so stick with that. Uh, and now we talked about you are tempted to start a new MMO, by the way, which is going to that's going to interfere with your uh, Mass Effect Two progress. I'll have you know if you start <laughs> yes, this. <it> will. <laughs> and what's the one that's tempting you right now? Uh, I'm really, I'm really uh, considering getting Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you an MMO guy? Um, not not really. Um, the first MMO I actually played was Eve Online, um, which is might be a little odd because that's one of the more hardcore ones. That is a really odd first MMO, Corey. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, what um, was that like? That, so that, that was your first MMO ever? Come on, you hadn't played World of Warcraft. I I did a trial of World of Warcraft, um, okay. and it, it didn't really. It was good, but I knew that I didn't have the time to put into that that it was going to want. Out of good it. man, good, yes. Um, so so later on, I, I I tried EVE Online, and it was it was a great experience. And did you stick with that for long? Uh, I played it for about six months. Um, like in a, in a corporation and everything? Like, did you get that into that level of it? Yeah, I did join a corporation, and I, I did my fair share of mining. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, it kind of turned into a job, um, and it, um, I don't know, it kind of just fizzled out, but, um, it, the, just the idea of, you know, one, one server, uh, just, yeah. you know, just the idea that, you know, really anything can happen if I go, go out here was a really compelling, um, um, you know, reason for playing. And Star Trek Online does that as well, doesn't it? It Doesn't it only have the one server? It does. Um, from what I've seen, it looks like it's heavily instanced. Okay. Um, so I don't know how much interaction... Um, I mean, there will be interaction with other players, but um, outside of your fleet and stuff, I don't know how much... Because um, that's the, the thing about EVE. I mean, you could run into a ship anywhere. You know, it's all just just this one big universe. Yeah. Uh, now, so so knowing, Corey, that you actually got into EVE for six months, I'm going to guess there is no way in hell you are going to avoid Star Trek Online. That's <laughs> that's just going to eat away at you. You're going to see the threads in the forum. You're going to be reading about... You mentioned the ship types really being intriguing, hearing about that. You might as well just go ahead and give in then. <laughs> it, it started to eat away. I mean, I didn't pay much attention to it, but now that it's... You know, you can play it right now. I'm having a hard time... Uh, Keeping that urge at bay. <laughs> now, uh, so, so for me, the Star Trek Online thing, I, I don't know. I'm not a Star Trek fan at all, and I, I don't dislike it or anything. I just never watched the TV series, and I don't, I, I don't know the canon very well. So none of that really appeals to me. You talking about relating the ship types to, I think you said it was Next Generation, uh, but uh, all that stuff and, and reading about, I don't, I don't know, Klingon PvP or whatever, none of that does anything for me. But what does do it for me is the idea of a sci-fi RPG where you have your own ship. Uh, I just yeah. love that concept. Uh, and EVE Online, I, I never got in the, corp- the corporate side of it, so I never saw much of the larger scale of it. But the concept of EVE Online, I loved. So I'm looking at Star Trek Online as something that's more friendly to a casual guy like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Own his own ship and, and you know screw around in space. And, uh, so. and I mean, what... What I find so appealing is that so much of, I mean, they have the full Star Trek license, and so much in that game is so iconic, you know, from the TV shows. Like, if you grew up watching, you know, um, The Next Generation, you know, with with that main Enterprise-type ship, you can fly that ship in Star Trek Online, and that's, that's, I mean, that's big. Right, right. Now, you, so you, is Eve the only MMO that you've played? Uh, Yes, yeah. Oh, so that's the thing, is you're also... All of these MMO conventions aren't, a lot of them for me are kind of stale. You know, the, the classic, uh, you know, I can sort of, like you mentioned, you tried the trial for World of Warcraft, and you sort of saw through it, and you saw what a time sink it was going to be, and that wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. It is so hard for me to look past that in, in most MMOs. You know, I, I, I did getting into it early on and seeing the, the basic concepts, but then once I look past that to the game mechanics, and I'm like, oh, I've seen other MMOs do that. It, it sort of loses a bit of the magic, but you haven't been tainted. You haven't been spoiled that way. Yeah, and I, I can see how uh, much these MMOs, you know, borrow from World of Warcraft, um, but it hasn't... Um, I mean, I know with Star Trek Online, a lot of the early stuff uh, might be a little grindy, but it hasn't, you know, I'm not necessarily soured on that. Right. Now, one MMO, actually, uh, did you play Fallen Earth? Have you looked at Fallen Earth, the, the post-apocalyptic MMO? Um... I uh, I did download and play through the tutorial on that. Um, 
but uh, but I, I gave up pretty quick. Okay. Because that so so let's let's transition to a bit because that this will tie into uh, Fallout Three, I think. Uh, so so why on earth do you want to talk about Fallout today? Um, because it's one of the few games that um um. It's one of my favorite games, and it does so much right, but also what it does wrong, um, it really pisses me off in a way. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Uh, now, now when, you, when you're talking, Corey, are you talking about Fallout 3 or the series as a whole? Uh, Fallout 3. Fallout 3 in particular. Um, I have to confess, um, I haven't actually uh, played through the original games, Fallout 1 and 2. Have you tried either of them? Um. A little bit, but um, but I haven't played through them. I, I mean, I know the general mechanics and stuff, but um, I'm I'm certainly not uh, an expert on them. And I, I'm the same as you. I, I've gone. I I played them way back when. I don't think I ever finished either of them. But it, it's kind of hard. Like I see continuity in terms of the world that they built and the backstory mm-hmm. and stuff. But as far as the feel of the games, Fallout Three so stands on its own. I mean, it's such its own kind of thing for me. Yeah. Uh, and not me not having played those previous games, um, I actually don't know a lot of what Fallout 3 borrowed from the previous one. So if I'm reading the description of Fallout 2 and it says, you know, there's Jet and some other stuff in there, like, it seems like they did take a lot from those early games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of, yeah, like, yeah, in terms of, like, the the, the world and the, the factions and, and the, the power armor and stuff, there, there's a lot of fan service there. That's lost on guys like us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what what pisses you off about Fallout Three? Jump straight well, to that because that's that's an intriguing statement. Well, it's you know, um, good games like you know, great games even like Fallout Three, Bioshock. The things that they do well are so well that it really makes the you know the the things they do wrong really stand yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and Fallout 3 is, you know, it's one of those. Um, the things that after a while kind of made me uh, want to stop playing were the, the NPCs, um, just how static they were, um, and um, especially with the way you related to NPCs. Like, I, I have an example. Um, do you remember... I, I forget her name in Megaton. Um, in, the, in the bar... Um, she's blonde hair. She was sitting by the door. <laughs> I love that you're <laughs> describing her. <laughs> in the bar at the bottom of the crater, you mean, or the the uh, there's actually that's like an iguana stand or whatever. Do you mean the there's the Moriarty's saloon? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Is she the one that sends you off to do the journal that stuff? Or no, something? no. Um, she's the one who uh, she wants you to go contact her family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I do remember. And by the way, Corey, so the, the funny thing about a podcast, right now, there are people listening to the podcast who are probably yelling at They're us. screaming at the Her <laughs> name. Yeah, she's so-and-so, you idiots, right? <laughs> so, yeah, what, so what if she's like an example of a static NPC? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, well, um, um, when I like was her, it's like her, Is it her family's attacked by vampires or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yep. what it is. Yep. yep. <laughs> Spoiler, by the way. <laughs> and um, what, um, just the playable character has no, like, relation with the NPCs. Like, 
you know, it's I went and did an errand for her, and that's basically it. Um, you can't, um, and I know a few do, games do this well, but um, um, you know, you can't have a relationship beyond that. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the NPCs in Fallout Three are pretty shallow. They're like uh, quest vendors. It, exactly. Exactly. Now, when you, when you say in so, what's what's an example of a, an RPG that you think transcends that? Hmm. I mean, it's it's an extremely hard thing to do, and I think they um, different RPGs mask it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Mass Mass Effect series does a good job of it um, in that the um, what you can talk to the NPC about, you know, changes over time, you know, and responds to what you've done. Okay. Um, and Fallout 3 is really um, quite static if it's not related to the quest they're giving you. I, Fallout 3, I get the sense that there are probably more, you say, more rigid flags that trigger at certain mm-hmm. points. Like if you've blown up Megaton, people might react one way, but... Uh, you're right. I mean, Bioware does kind of upstage. I mean, they, they screw it up for other NPCs when when you have, for instance, the rich party interaction. In I think specifically of Dragon Age because that's an example of a game that really worked for me. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I really grew to care about all the characters in my party or in my camp, whether or not I brought them on missions or, or, or not. I mean, these were. And and you could do quests for them as well, uh, and and you would make major world changing decisions based around NPCs who weren't in your party. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I just I feel Dragon Age screwed that up for me. I'm glad that I played Fallout <laughs> before Dragon Age. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, so the static NPC stuff, that pisses you off. Anything else? Um, I This might sound like a small thing, but going along with the static NPCs, the animation killed me in that. Oh, game. God, yeah. The lack, the lack thereof. Um. <laughs> I and still wanted to play from the third-person view uh, just to look at, like, the armor and stuff I had equipped, but I just could not stomach looking at that my character's <laughs> animation. God. And the thing, I mean, I kept thinking in my head, if if Bethesda just hired some, you know, some animators who could do a better job, it would make such a big difference um, in your level of immersion in the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, did uh, did the I, I know a lot of people were disappointed in the way it wound down the ending. Did mm-hmm. any of that bother you, or were you okay with that? Um, no. Um, are we allowed to get into spoiler territory? Or? I think you know I, I I'm inclined to say anybody listening this far has probably finished Fallout Three. If wouldn't you think? Go ahead and spoil it. If, if, okay. So we're going to spoil the ending of Fallout Three. Fast forward like ten minutes if uh, if you haven't finished it yet. And I I haven't played through Broken Steel so. Um, but the core, the way the core game ends, I was, I was actually okay with. Um, I thought the, um, the robot, the massive robot marching, you know, through the streets was actually a pretty good payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to the main quest. Um, after that, um, you know, sh- uh, killing the colonel and stuff, that was, that wasn't that exciting. But I thought I liked how it ended. Right. Right. Uh, and. I know a lot of people complained about the contrived choice where you had to go into the radiation chamber at, at the oh, end or send someone. That did that killed me. That, yeah, 
Literally. <laughs> because earlier in the game, I had, um, you know, my mutant friend go into the um, that irradiated area to get something. And yet I couldn't do that at the end. I know. <laughs> it, it made me so mad because it, it was so plainly, uh, you know, an oversight. Yeah, they established very clearly the rules about who can go in there and what will happen. And then at the end, that seems like an obvious choice. Oh, look, get that dude to go in there. And it, it's sort of like Bethesda was like, oh, well, we were hoping you wouldn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, have to, you have to die or live. Yeah, uh, that... So have you have you gotten much of the the DLC for so so I finished Fallout Three I loved it it was one of my favorite games of that year but I have not touched any of the downloadable content and there's so much of it it seems like there's so much cool stuff they've added there uh, is there's a lot they do that a lot so there's the there's the Pittsburgh one uh, there's the Broken Steel is Broken Steel the Pittsburgh one no Broken Steel's the one that extends the ending and raises the level oh yeah 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 exactly right. Uh, there's the Mothership Zeta one. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a Swamp one? Yeah, Point Lookout. Yes, yes. Which and then there's a uh, Operation Anchorage. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Five, that's a lot. And it, yeah. They did a great job too. With, I mean, I guess that's the new way, isn't it? Is you put out an RPG, a single player experience, and then you just keep selling cool add-on stuff for it. Uh, it, it I, yeah, I like that the, that way of doing it. Um, it kind of makes the Bioware's uh, look a little funny putting out an expansion for Dragon Age, um, like a hard expansion rather than DLC. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I played through Operation Anchorage and Mothership Zeta. Um, I didn't get to the others, and and they were good. Mm-hmm. Did uh did you had you finished the the core game first, and then you went and did those two? Uh yeah yeah. Okay. Uh, did you only play through Fallout 3 once? Um, completely, well, as complete as you can be in a game like that, yes. Um, another thing about the original ending is you can't keep playing. Um, if you didn't save at a specific point, right. you know, you were, you were locked into finishing the game. Um, so I played through it once, and then when they released Broken Steel, I, I, um, I created some more characters. So your first, your entire playthrough, uh, good or evil? Uh, definitely good. It's, it seems like in every RPG, my first, my default yeah. playthrough is always, you know, the good guy. I, I, and I, I have such a hard, this is weird, but when I really like a game, I, I have such a hard time being the bad guy, because I, I want to like the characters, and I want them to like me, and, you know, there's this cool new world, and I don't want to just barge into it and be an asshole. <laughs> so, uh, actually, I saved, I saved uh, early on in one of my characters, and I actually decided to blow up Megaton, mm-hmm. and it was horrible. Like, yeah. I had to walk by that big, you know, <laughs> smoldering pit that used to be, you know, a town all the time. It was horrible. That's right. You did that. I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm playing Bioshock 2 right now, and I just cannot bring myself to hurt those little sisters. I just, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I don't want to do that. That's so terrible. Uh, so, uh Tell me, what is the deal with, what is your theory on why do we like post-apocalyptic settings? What's going on there? I think, I think it has to do with um, the idea of the world we all live in right now, that, that world just being turned upside down in an instant. Um, how, 
how um how alien that would be to have your whole world just uh you know destroyed um because a post apocalyptic setting has i mean it's a it's a unique setting but it's also grounded on what we know right you mentioned alien but it's yeah it's the familiar turned alien in a way mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh what's your first uh now how old are you if i may ask um, I'm 24. Oh, okay, so you're a kid, so you may not... What, what is your first exposure to, to post-apocalyptic settings? How, how did that worm its way into your imagination? Hmm. I'll start by... I'll, let me tell you mine. Okay. I remember vividly being in high school. So before high school, I guess I was in junior high, and I remember some guy telling me about a movie called Mad Max. <laughs> and I, I didn't see it, but he described it to me, and he told me something about the ending, and... I remember uh, it opens with, there's like nudity in the very beginning. You see, I think through binoculars, there's a couple having sex or something. And that's what this other kid in junior high was telling me about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he talked about the car chases. And I don't think I ever saw the movie. But then when Road Warrior came out, I knew that it was related to this Mad Max movie this other kid had told me about. And I Road Warrior blew my mind. I mean, Road Warrior influenced stuff. I did, so here's one of the stupid things I did as a kid, Corey. Now, <laughs> have you seen Road Warrior? Everybody's seen Road Warrior, right? I actually haven't. <gasps> Corey! Oh, kids these days! Oh. Yeah, I'm one of those guys who, I've seen a lot of movies, but there's so many that I've seen that are classics. So. Well, Road Warrior, that, so that's where I got into this whole, you know, that was for me, that determined post-apocalyptic m- mythos for me. So one of the things I did in high school, you haven't seen it, I won't spoil anything, but you should see it, by the way. Road Warrior, Corey, holds up beautifully. They just, there's, I think last year, it was released on Blu-ray. It looks fantastic. It is incredibly well-paced. I mean, it's just, it's vintage post-apocalypticism. But one of the things in in the movie is that Max would have, he had had driving gloves, but on his right hand, I think his sleeve was cut off and the fingers were cut off of his driving gloves, presumably so that he could pull the trigger of his gun more readily. Mm -hmm. So I used to cut the fingers off of my gloves on my right hand and wear my right sleeve rolled up for no other reason than Max did it in Road Warrior. It's just one of the (laughs) stupid things I did as a kid. That's that's awesome. (laughs) So so how did you, uh, when was, what was your first exposure to how cool the post-apocalyptic setting was? Where did you get that? Well, for me, it wasn't so much grounded, like you, it wasn't grounded in a game. Um, as a kid, I was really interested in archaeology. Um, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I I loved that, um, looking at history like that. Um, and that's that's related to, um, to a post-apocalyptic setting in that you're trying, it's, it's a world that, that was destroyed, it's a world that was overturned, and you're going into a setting where um, there's little things that, that you have to piece together to tell you about what happened in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, and the stories that you can, you know, um, um, the stories that you can, you know, piece together by looking at that. And I just found that, you know, really, really interesting. You know, that's a much more thoughtful uh, way to come to post-apocalyptic settings <laughs> than I have. I was just into like the the cool cars and you know it's in the, it's in the outback in the Australian desert so uh, there, there's none of that aspect of like familiar landmarks falling down and, and stuff but that's a great part of Fallout Three isn't it is because this works with that RPG model is you have to scavenge 
for supplies and for, for loot, basically. Yeah. There's yeah. this sense that you're sifting through the detritus of civilization, and, mm-hmm. and there are almost stories there, and it is like archaeology, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, what happens here? Um, you know, what does is, what is this thing that I found tell me, you know? And uh, that's one thing that Fallout 3 does so well, is use the environment to tell different stories. And, that's, and, and even the, the pre-existing world of Fallout 3 is, is again, a, a, that concept of familiar yet alien. It's this mm-hmm. 50s era with advanced technology and fusion-powered cars. And so there's a whole other story within the story. There's like a, a beginning story that shifted, and you're mm-hmm. kind of looking through the world of Fallout 3 to this earlier story. Uh, and that was... And that was actually the first thing that really, you know, got me with Fallout 3. I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who followed it all throughout its, you know, tortured development. Um, I, uh, the first, I think the first time I really, you know, uh, got a lot of info was watching, um, watching a walkthrough of the first area. I think it was coming out of an E3 or something. Mm-hmm. But, but just that, um, that setting really, you know, hooked me. Yeah, yeah. Uh uh, what do you feel about? Uh, are there any things that you feel are conspicuously missing from Fallout Three? Missing. Um. In what? In what way? Well, I just, uh, for instance, being a Road Warrior fan, uh, I'm like, you can't have a post-apocalyptic setting without cars. You know, I want to get into some kind of car, or I want one of those fusion motorcycles, or whatever. Yeah, uh, there are no vehicles. Um. That would that would have been a good addition, I think, kind of like a Borderlands, or even a horse. You know, there were horses in Oblivion. Why can't we have horses? In? So that's one of the things they do in uh, Fallen Earth, which mm-hmm. is that uh, that MMO is there's you know that's a big money and resource sink is getting your vehicle, which starts out as a horse and you can get a four by four, and eventually the the equivalent of an epic mount, I think, is like a muscle car. Uh, now that you mention it, um, that would that would have been enjoyable. Um, uh, I mentioned Borderlands, like, you know, it's, if they need to get from one place to another, rather than hoofing it, you know, it's fun to run over those skags. Um, yep, exactly. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and Fallout, you know, you can fast travel, um, but it would have been a lot more, a lot of fun to, you know, to run over those, <laughs> those wasteland monsters. But I do think one of the, I mean, I, I wish it was there and I would have loved to see it work, but I think one of the reasons you can't have that in Fallout 3 is it's so carefully built in mm-hmm. terms of if you head off in one direction, they really pace out when you'll discover encounters and cool new things and these set pieces. It's such a carefully built, meticulously put together world that if you're just whizzing past things on a vehicle, yeah. uh, I think it could kill. It could hurt the pacing. That uh, makes sense. And I, uh, you mentioning that brings up one of my uh, my favorite things about that game was. I read they released a patch for Fallout 3, and in the notes, uh, one of the fixes was it prevented or it prevented one of the NPCs from falling off a cliff and dying. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That, you know that that could happen. It just you know it made me smile. Um, but it is it's they really the way everything is spaced out. You know, in the different ways you know you could approach it. You can approach locations from any direction, but they uh, they seem to do a good job of pacing everything out. Uh, what did you think of the combat? The combat, I, I didn't mind the vats, but the the actual shooting in first person in real time was horrible. It really, I thought it was horrible. Um, the guns felt like toy guns 
you know, very tinny firing them. They didn't have a lot of punch. Um, uh, I don't think that's a realistic way to play that game. As a shooter, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really does seem to want you to play vats and to go for the headshots and, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, uh, did you pick up any companions? Um, I, I never found the dog. Oh. I never found him. <laughs> um, even on other playthroughs, um, I should have looked up in a wiki where he was, but I never, I never found him naturally. Um, and, uh, and besides the, the, the super mutant you found, you know, later on, I didn't really have any companions. That was one of the things that, um, I wish the game was more, um, open about was, um, you know, giving you more options for people coming with you. It, it could get a little messy, I think, when you had companions. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a way you could, I think you could ultimately get is it three, or it might, it might have just limited right. it to two. Uh, but I think you could get to where you had two people, like, tagging along with you, doing their own thing, and you can give them a general order. Uh, but but I recall that that could get a little unwieldy, is just having, dude, and, and also trying to keep the dog alive, for instance. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've, I've played a bit with the dog, and I, my first playthrough, I didn't have the dog. And the second playthrough, I made a point to look up, like you said, on a wiki, or I just read a message for him or something. I wanted to know exactly where that dog was, and I made a beeline to get the dog. But it's almost been a liability, because I'm not going to let that dog die. I mean, that dog is so cool. <laughs> That it's totally dictating the way that I play. You know, if the dog gets killed, it's like, ah, oh, well, reload. I can't, I can't which, deal with that. Which I think that has a connection too with the way the um, the um, weapon degradation system works, um, and repairing weapons. Um, because I actually I found that I didn't use the most powerful weapons in the ah. game because I didn't want to, you know, hurt them or lose them. Um, if there was only a couple of those in the entire wasteland and it and it cost so much money to repair, you know, it was it wasn't almost worth it to use them. That's kind of I that's one of the things I really like that I think they did well in Mass Effect too, is mm-hmm. they give you these toys and like the heavy weapons and they encourage you to play with them and they'll replenish the ammo periodically. There there's not this sense that you, you know, you get these big toys and you don't necessarily have to save them for a special occasion. Yeah. You know, that they want them put into heavy rotation and heavy use. Uh, and I really like that. And when you have that, that when, when you use those kind of weapons and special abilities as a as a resource sink, it, you know, it's it's really tough. It can sort of spoil the freewheeling feel of, hey, I've got this really cool big gun. Now I'm going to use it. Yeah, and it's I, sort of like if you use it, you're always worried that oh, right after you've used it, you're going to run into an encounter where you should have saved it for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I like I like the idea of having to repair guns, but I. I don't think the implementation was was on with that. Right, right. Uh, are you done with Fallout Three? Um, I think I'll probably go back to it. I, I will go back to it. I don't know if I'll do a, a comprehensive playthrough again. Um, I I remember um, reading a little um, one your Oblivion review on the old Quarter to Three site. Um, where you mentioned that with Oblivion, um, there was a time where, you you know, you played the hell out of it, but there was a time where you just stopped um, and had enough. And I kind of hit that with Fallout 3. Like, I put, you know, 100, 150 hours into it. And, uh, and then one day, you know, I took a look at the, you know, the animation and the, you know, the paper-thin NPCs and, like, you know, I'm just done with this right now. 
what what would make me go back to Fallout 3 and what what I really came to appreciate after being away from it while playing Dragon Age and, and Mass Effect 2 is the the open world aspect. You know, that 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 building a world out of boxes, I just that's so difficult for me to stomach after seeing Fallout 3 and Oblivion. I mean, that approach to building an RPG out of these lovely vistas where you can go anywhere you can see. Uh, and that's that's why I mentioned earlier that, in a way, Fallout 3 has has ruined much of the impact of Bioware's games. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and that and that's one of the things that hooked me on it, that, you know, once you emerge from that vault, you can go anywhere. You can explore that whole world where in uh, Dragon Age and even more so in Mass Effect 2, you're funneled in this tightly, you know, controlled way and you want to see more, but you can't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I can see in a... Like, I, I, there's no way they could do something like that for Mass Effect 2, for instance. We've got a whole galaxy, and you should be able to fly a spaceship anywhere and land it anywhere, short of doing some horrible Battlecruiser 3000 AD interface. I mean, that <laughs> that's just not a feasible way. The scope is too big. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But for something like Dragon Age, and even in Dragon Age, they did a good enough job kind of hiding it, but I just wish Bioware would abandon that model. You know, they're, they're so married to that model and that, that basic technique of building worlds. Uh, I would love to see Bioware's character work applied to Bethesda's open-world tech. Uh, oh, yeah, that, it would be amazing. So if anyone from EA is listening, you guys should buy Bethesda. <laughs> Merge them with BioWare and just put those guys to work. <laughs> uh, Lucy Lucy West was that NPC's name. Uh, you just looked that up, you cheater. <laughs> you totally Googled that. No, I remembered that. I remember you that. did not. Nice try. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's her... Was her brother was missing, or no? She sends you to check on her family, and they're they're gone. They're, Are they dead or they're gone? I'm pretty sure they're dead. Yeah, I think you find their bodies, and the the, the young the, her brother, the son, is missing, and you think he's murdered them or something, and it turns yeah. out he was kidnapped by vampires. Is that right? Yeah, you eventually go in one of the subway tunnels, and they they have a they have a setup there. You know, Corey, um, I gotta say the fact that. That I can remember that. That you described to me the NPC, and then in my head, I can then recall that storyline, even even as, as sort of roughly as I recall it. That speaks volumes to me, because if, if I forget so easily the plots of RPGs. I was talking to someone last night about Mass Effect 1, and I got pretty far through Mass Effect 1 and gave up on it, but I remembered the basic story. I mean, I, I played it enough to know the basic story, but none of that registered for me. And mm-hmm. Mass Effect 2, when players are coming, you know, there's a lot of callback to the original game, and I couldn't remember any of that. But you talking about Lucy West, that, I recall that. I mean, that made an impression on me. I think because Bethesda builds, they're so good at building worlds, uh, that, you know, that's a place I was. I was there. I remember that. Uh, and I n- never felt that with Mass Effect 1. And, um, they, they are, re- they are so good at building worlds. And, um, I, uh, before Christmas, I actually got a couple of my friends Fallout 3 because um, they hadn't played it. Um, and one of the – I had the f- most fun time um, talking with them after they played. Like, did yes. you see this? Did you see this? You know, oh, and then telling me something. was like, whoa, I never found that, you know. And it was just an awesome exchange of experiences. And uh, and 
there's so many locations, you know, um, that that you can go to is just a lot, a really cool time. And I, there's that, and that's just, that's one reason too that uh, I don't think I'm anywhere near done with Fallout Three. I mean, the only reason I don't play it now is because I'm busy with other stuff. But there, I just am so aware there is so much in Fallout Three that I have not seen, and that's without even talking about the DLC that we discussed before. I haven't seen any of that. But even aside from that, there's so much in that world that uh, I, I want to go back and look at. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a new Vegas one. Who's who's developing that? It's not Bethesda. Is it someone else doing the new Vegas? Uh, the plot? guys, the guys who made Neverwinter Nights two. Right? Uh, is that Obsidian? No, is that Obsidian? Yeah. yeah. Obsidian. Now, how do you feel about that? Does that does, does that is that something you're looking forward to? Um, do you have I, reservations? Not. Not really. Um, I mean, they. It will certainly be different. Like, I doubt Obsidian, um, unless they've made an announcement to this effect, I doubt it's going to be that same type of, you know, Oblivion, op- you know, open world. Um, but um, I'm excited, especially for that setting, um, a post apocalyptic Las Vegas. There's a lot of, you know, opportunity for some crazy stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and some really cool stories to tell. Um, and, uh,. I, so I'm excited, and um, uh, Neverwinter Nights was, uh, and 2 were my first, you know, the first game was my first, you know, really hardcore RPG that I tackled, so um, I am excited about that. And boy, speaking of uh, worlds built out of boxes, I mean, almost literally <laughs> with Neverwinter Nights. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I At the time, I, I didn't mind it too much, but uh, it... It's becoming dated. Um, yeah. Well, it, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say it works, but it, it's just getting old. You know? Yeah. Well, I think Neverwinter Nights is so rooted in D&D mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got that to sort of rest on, and it's okay that it gets dumped into little boxes like that. That, that kind of still works. And, yeah, it's dated, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see them as building these immersive you-are-there RPG worlds so much as replicating this almost tabletop idea of looking down on miniatures and moving through conversations and the mechanics of battles and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's actually, Corey, I mean, that's my... That's ultimately what it comes down to for... That's my big problem with Mass Effect 2 is because of the world-building limitations, there's just not enough gameplay to take up the slack for that. Dragon Age really did that. Neverwinter Nights did that. But it's I just had a hard time... There just wasn't enough gameplay to really move me through Mass Effect 2 uh, in the, that world of space dungeons. And mm-hmm. When and when they cut out so much of the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, even... Um, what what was your opinion of the Mako stuff going down to the planet? I hated that. I hated that. See, I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily like it, but I appreciated it in that it made you feel um, a little more a part of that world rather than, you know, spinning a globe with your Right. You know, analog sticks and sending a probe down. Um, it wasn't done well in Mass Effect One, but it, I, I liked what they were trying to do there. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's part of why I hated it. Is I loved the concept that I just felt like it. You know, I looked at this concept and I just felt like it wasn't done justice. It's like that scanning mini game. You yeah. know, if I was in charge over there at Bioware, I would I would be like, yeah, guys, this is a great idea. I love this, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not the way to do it. Uh, so, you know, they don't have, it's not the Mako now, it's the Hammerhead. Uh, I don't think it's available yet, but I'm real curious to see what they come up with. And to their credit, Corey, 
I, I really like how, uh, I don't know if you found many of the, not random encounters, but the, the side encounters that you can find when you're scanning planets. There's I a lot of, I haven't hit any of those yet. Well, there's a lot of that out there. And the thing is, you have to scan planets. I mean, you, that's, that's mandatory game tax in a way. In order to upgrade your, your guns and get the better guns, you have to do that horrible planetary scanning mini game. And as yeah, you're doing it, you will come across some of these side missions. And I really like how these side missions are all tailor made. They're not just, sort of scantily populated dungeons where you kill things. They do some really cool... There's some nice twists that they do with some of those. So I applaud the fact that they needed to get in there and do those by hand and make them personally, you know, you know, give them a personal touch and not just make them throw away dungeons. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, you, you will be finding those. I'm sorry, go ahead. When you're scanning, mm-hmm. do you have to find a specific spot to know that there's a mission there, or will you know when you uh, first... I think it, th- there's a little white indicator in your reticle, your okay. scanning reticle, that'll point you, that'll say, hey, dummy, there's a mission on this planet, you know, uh, move the cursor over here. Uh, mm-hmm. So it definitely lets you know. You're not going to scan a planet and miss uh, a mission if it's there. You'll know. Uh, but the thing is, you won't know which planets it's on. Uh, so... Now, does it bother you, and, and this, so some of my complaints were broader, larger complaints, and some of them I freely admit were nitpicking, and some of them, of course, like my issue with Mass Effect 1 and the storyline having so many callbacks, that's my own bag and something that won't bother other people. But does the flying the ship around bother you, the fact that you, you stand up on that holograph and then you have to steer the little ship around in Star Control 2 mode? Did that yes. bother you or does that work for you? It, it totally bothered me. Um, what bothered me more was the fact that I had to gas up the Normandy before, you know, <laughs> before I could go out to some of these areas. Um, and the fact that I could run out of gas. That <laughs> I just, I don't, uh, that's another thing where I'm like, okay, Bioware, that's a great idea, but don't do it this way. <laughs> you know, you're exactly, doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the concept is good, but the implementation of, of that, um, I mean, what I, I'm curious what the thinking was that that thought it'd be a good idea to add limited fuel, yeah. um, or or even probes. Like you scan so much, why not just make that, you yeah. know, uh, you know, you have infinite amount. I love the idea of Commander Shepard, you know, tasked with saving the galaxy from the collectors and uh, running out of fuel, you know, <laughs> and having to get towed back to the gas station. You know, driving the Normandy too far. Oops, we're on empty. <laughs> and it does. I, I ran out once and it, you know, pumped you back. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. It's, some, yeah. <laughs> it's like having to call AAA, you know. <laughs> does, does Normandy 2 get AAA? Uh, now, also, does this body... So, I love the fact that early on, they kill the Normandy. You know, that's like... I don't know a lot of Star Trek stuff, but I've, I've seen the movies. And in one of the movies, they actually crash the Enterprise. You know, there's this iconic ship that you've seen through all the TV series, and they kill it. It's almost like killing Superman or something. So I love the fact that at the beginning of Mass Effect 2, they trash the Normandy. I was like, wow, that's awesome. That's that's really bold. But then they just give you the same ship again. Just with yeah, I, I thought that was a little odd that it wasn't a different ship. Um, I love that opening, though, especially when you were, um, you're walking outside of the, the center area into that, um, you know, that's open. It was just shot up. You know, and you're, yeah. it's, it's silent in the vacuum. That um, that was really striking to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But they that kind of pulls the punch when that's like after they crash the Enterprise, 
you don't just make the same ship. I mean, it it, it just feels like it, it it under they 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 offer a really cool moment and then they undercut it. I I just you know get give it a does, different ship. Right. The new ship is you know slightly different, but it does um, reduce some of the impact of that. I think. Yeah. Well, like I said, you, you'll I think you'll dig where it goes. So I, I I hate to be like I've said before. I hate to be a wet blanket. Uh, I I love that people are digging it. Uh, that's great. I hope it does well for Bioware. Uh, uh, and so I, I'll be curious to hear what you think when it's over. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely try to push through it. Uh, I have it from GameFly, so I you know I don't want to give up on it too quickly. Well, you know though, Corey, you're going to be having to play Star Trek Online though. I don't know. <laughs> See, I, I forgot about it, and you, you brought it back up again. Well, I just I, I just want to tell you, as soon as we stop recording, Corey, I just finished patching it. I'm going to go in there and roll up my character and claim some name. All the good names, since it's one server, are going to be taken soon. So you better get in there and get your name. <laughs> now, uh, Corey, I'm going to ask you a completely random question. Okay. Out of the blue. Uh, this will also be a thread in everything else. Uh, if you... Uh, you will go into the drawing. Everybody who answers it in the thread uh, will also go into the drawing uh, for a free game on the platform of your choice. Hopefully the Wii, because I have so many extra crappy Wii games here that I would love to give away. <laughs> so here's the random question. Do you shave with the grain or against the grain? Mm. You, I shave... Uh, I use an electric shaver, so... so Still got to go one way or the other. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think most of the time it's against. Because that seems like it would it would work better that way. And I don't I don't know the rule. I don't... I'm, I'm never sure what to do. So I asked this for a couple of reasons. There's definitely this, against. Definitely against? Okay. Because it seems like if you're going with the grain, you're just going to push the hairs down and it's not going to work as well. Yeah, it just lays flat. Right. And you, you think of all those commercials for razors that shows you the side view of the hair coming out of the follicle and the razor. It seems like in all those little animated graphics, <laughs> the razor's going against the grain. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, do you, do you, are you a clean-shaven fella? Do you have facial hair? Uh, I, have, I have a goatee right now, um, but if I, I've tried growing a beard in the past, but it's a little patchy. Um, and I'm lazy, so I don't you know, shave as much as I should. See, I don't, I don't, because I don't have like a, like I work out of my house and I, when I go out, I don't want to look crappy, so I'll shave, but I'll go days at a time without shaving because I hate shaving. I just, it's, you know, I'm constantly like. the curse of being a man. It really is, yeah. Like, you know what, I would rather, I mean, my legs don't, I would rather shave my legs just because, you know, my face, that's, like, sensitive. I don't want, like, razors near my face. And I'm constantly cutting myself, and I just it's suck at shaving. cover up your legs, too. It is, exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, I just put on pants when I go out, and it's fine. It doesn't matter if I haven't shaved my legs. Uh, if you're, have you ever gotten um, uh, shaven with a straight razor? It seems scary. I I haven't, but it, I agree. Yeah, it seems scary, but yeah, I'd love to be like an old man with a little brush uh, uh-huh. for the uh, for the the suds or whatever. And uh, so, so here's something I remember many years ago: Letterman bringing a barber up from uh, the. There was apparently a shop in the Rockefeller Plaza where he broadcasts and, or, or something. There was a local barber 
and he brought the barber up to shave him with a straight razor on the show. And the poor guy was so nervous that his hand was shaking. <laughs> and so after the, the shave was done, Dave had all these, like, nicks and cuts. It just looked oh, really yeah. scary. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that kind of turned me off of that. But, no, I don't think I've ever gotten a, a shave with a straight razor. And part of what – do you remember – so let me ask, are your, are your folks together? Yes, they are. Okay, so you were raised by a father. How did you learn how to shave? Did your dad ever say, hey – Corey, Dick, Richard, whatever he called you, say, hey, here's how you shave. Did you ever get that, like, a talk or anything like that? Uh, actually, no. Um, my, I didn't, my uh, facial hair came in late, um, like, it, when I, you know, I was 20, 21. So, um, my intro to shaving was him giving me his old electric razor, and I just used it whenever I needed to. <laughs> So you you might have been doing it wrong all these years, for all you know. That no shaving lore was passed down to you. I probably still shave wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's what my that's my theory of what is what happened with me is I was raised by a single mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I never I distinctly remember sitting in the car waiting for my mom had gone in to do something or whatever, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the car. And I even remember, wow, I remember the year. So, Corey, this would have been 1979. Because I remember looking at a magazine article for this new movie called Alien. That I <laughs> Even though my mom wasn't going to let me, I was too young. And I remember reading that article and then looking over in the passenger side mirror of the car. And it's one of those objects are closer than they appear or whatever. And I was like close to the mirror and leaning forward and seeing little hairs on my lip. And just be, being really weirded out thinking, oh, rats, now I have to... I have to learn how to shave. You know, I'm not going to ask mom how to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those puberty moments or something. It's very uncomfortable and icky. Uh, and, and shortly thereafter, having to sort of figure out on my own how to shave. So, yeah, I don't know if you go with the grain or against the grain. Uh, I, I I know with my electric, I go against most of the time. So, so if uh, yes. there will be a thread on the forum. So here's the thing. Uh when you post an answer in that thread, the last letter of your post has to be the letter S. So there you go. Anybody who posts according to that rule will go into the drawing. Uh, Corey, you're in there. You can win a free, hopefully a crappy Wii game, but if you'd like a crappy game on another platform, that's an option as well. Uh, crappy is the consistent thing, right? You know, I've got a few good games left Uh that I want to sort of save. But, yeah, basically I've just got all these crappy games that I want to get rid of. So, yeah. So these are joke prizes. These are not <laughs> these are not actual real good prizes yet. That'll, that'll be later. Uh, so, Corey, thank you so much. Before we let you go, though, let's see. Next week we have uh, Rorschach, who uh, I think is going to talk about Banjo-Kazooie. Did you ever play those? No, no. I've actually... Uh I never owned a Sony console, so. Well, what's the matter with you? These are these are three three sixty games. This is rare. Uh, I I was thinking of. Uh, um, You're thinking of Ratchet and Clank, weren't you? Yes, yes. See, because to people like you, those platformers all look alike, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? I just belayed my. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're too hardcore a gamer with your RPGs and your Fallout and your Dragon Age and Mass Effect. <laughs> so no, Banjo Kazooie. It was this sort of also-ran platformer series. Mm-hmm. But they, they released a game last year which was like you would build vehicles out of Legos, kind of, and do these really cool challenges using the vehicles you built. 
and you would unlock parts. And it was a strangely, it was a, an odd mixture of really hardcore challenging gameplay and really fr- kid-friendly building stuff. Uh, I, I think that they have that on uh, Games on Demand now. I've been looking at that. Um, now, now make sure it's, it's called Nuts and Bolts. If you download an earlier Banjo-Kazooie, you're going to be playing some insufferable game with a, a talking bear and a singing bird. You don't want that. You, you want Nuts and Bolts. So, uh, And Rorschach was... Uh, he, so one of the things you could do is you could build vehicles. You know, there were airplanes, there were ships, mm-hmm. there were, of course, mo- you know, motorcycles and buggies and trucks or helicopters. You could build these and then send them to your friends. And Rorschach sent me, you know, he built some really cool, like I remember this awesome sailing ship that he built. Uh, so you could you could make really nifty things with this. And I know, Didn't you just like bolt on whatever you wanted, like how many engines and, yep. you know, cannons and whatnot? Yep. Now, th- there were there were limitations, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you could pretty much bolt on whatever you wanted. Yep. Go crazy. So Rorschach made this great ship, and I could stick extra cannons on it if I wanted or more sails to make it go faster. Uh, and there were even physics. I think you had to build a keel, or otherwise it could turn over. Uh, they did some really great stuff in that game. So, uh, everyone listening, come on back next week. We will be talking about that. Uh, and, Corey, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I will be curious what you think of the end of Mass Effect 2. So, when I see you on Star Trek Online, I might every now and then needle you about making progress in Mass Effect as well. Sounds good. This has been a great conversation. Thanks very much, and uh, we'll see you around on the forum, Corey. Sounds good.